What's up and welcome back to Nostalgia Pod, giving you your weekly look at what's going on in pop culture. My name is Pat Sheehan, joined by my trusty co-host Dave Martin Swagger. Dave, what's going on? Gang, gang, man, giving thanks out here. What's good? So uh, winter's coming for those of us in the Northeast and potentially more people as Game of Thrones, about an hour, maybe two hours before recording this, just dropped simple tweet winter is coming any thoughts any, any guesses what this is referring to haven't heard that one before really unsure what that could mean <laughs> uh you know brand new off, off the dome i think uh, i don't know part of me thinks they're just like acknowledging that it's getting cold and that it's, it's easy easy contact who the hell knows maybe it was a scheduled tweet <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it, it probably was um that's kind of where i landed with it but it's funny because some of the top comments are mm. um they're remaking season eight it's official now like this is it's confirmed like eh. don't don't get your hopes up on that the, the snyder cut people same 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 fans <laughs> <laughs> give us the snyder cut of season eight of game of thrones that's what we really want the cogman um, cut yeah absolutely um we got a lot to talk about today though we got a uh, couple albums a couple of movies that you're gonna be talking about unfortunately i only was able to see one of them and uh, then we also are going to start off with the Grammys before we get into it. Uh, hit that subscribe button if you're listening on YouTube or watching on YouTube. And go to SoundCloud.com slash NostalgiaPod to follow the podcast any way that you want to listen to it. Grammys 2020. Nominations dropped. Um, boy. Um, some some really good in here and some really bad in here. And that's how I pretty much always feel about the Grammys um well what stood out to you let's i'll let you kind of lead the conversation with this yeah i think what stands out off the top is the overwhelming acceptance of the youth with these nominations billy eilish great showing uh ybn corday nominated for best rap album lizzo not super young but brand new eight nominations lil nas x uh certainly over nominated here you know mm-hmm. and Part of that makes me think that the uh, new leadership at the Recording Academy, Neil Portnow, is out. Deborah Duggan is in. Perhaps that has something to do with that. Um, on the other side of that coin, established Grammy darling in the past, Taylor Swift, is not nominated for Album of the Year once again. Despite, I think, most people expecting Lover, you know, return the form, pretty universally claimed. We expected this to get back in that field, but it did not. Uh, Paul Simon, Frank Sinatra, and Stevie Wonder, the only people in the last like 60 years to win three albums of the years. Taylor has two. She has to keep waiting. Um, so that's what kind of stood out to me, just kind of the mix of uh, people. And then there's still plenty of surprises and head scratchers, as you alluded to. But yeah, it's, uh, it's a mixed bag like the Grammys uh, like to do. Yeah, it, it, uh, Lil Nas X's um, shine on this bless you was by far the uh the most surprising to me because he just looking through album of the year right you got the established people in here you got bonnie there you got lit uh was not established vampire weekend um even lana del rey you know someone who's gotten a lot of acclaim ariana grande's gotten some shine more recently and then you got the young people billy eilish lil nas x lizzo even her who i know got some grammy love last year's best new artist but She's she's she feels very over nominated um, within the, the all the categories. It just it, it feels like they almost tried too hard to create like the, this mix. You know, there's there's enough great 
music within the last year that obviously goes overlooked. And I, I think the, the rap category especially is a tough one because there's so much like the amount of good rap out there right now is absurd. And the amount of people that actually get nominated is so small. It's like uh, maybe we could have taken a step back from giving Lil Nas X this this one and maybe look to a different person to get this album of the year nomination. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what are your thoughts on the rap category? Did you feel like that was representative? How were you feeling after reading through? Yeah, it depends how you, depends how you frame it. Uh, I think all the nom- albums nominated for Best Rap Album are good and deserving albums. We have the Dreamville Project, the Meek Mill album, 21's album, Igor, of course, and YB and Corday. Uh, all good albums, albums we liked. Um, tough to really argue against any of those. And I think some of them actually really inspired. Obviously, 21 Savage, I'm happy he's there. I don't, he's not going to win. I think it's a lock for Tyler, which uh, Igor is barely rap, but Tyler's been a rap for so long, I don't give a shit. I would love to see him win. Um, Meek Mill comeback album, nice. Dreamville, you know, the studio bringing everyone together, doing those like crazy Dreamville sessions. Really cool story. I like seeing that rewarded, even if I don't, you know, run back most of that album that often. And Corday, of course, we've espoused praises about him being the new, the new chosen one for a while. But if you're going to claim one thing about 2019 hip hop, it's that it was dominated by the women. And Megan Thee Stallion has no nominations. Yeah. And despite Neil Port not leaving, they still kind of sh- shafted the women on here. I mean, Cardi B is nominated for Best Rap Song for her feature off Clout, off Offset's album. And I'm like, I mean, shit, of, of, of all the songs to pick, you, you could have picked like Money, Cardi's single at least, you know, Clout. I mean, it's okay. But um, yeah, I wish Megan was here for either Realer or the whole project. I don't know. But... I'm not, I'm, not too, I'm not too mad about it. You know, I mean, there's, there's no Eminem album that has to steal a spot this time, you know? And it's also a year where there's no Drake to nominate, no Kanye, he didn't make the window, no Kendrick, um, mm-hmm. and no Solo Cole. So, you know, you get some other faces in there, which I think is cool. So, yeah, I'm happy, I'm, I'll be happy for Tyler. I'm, I assume he's going to win. Um, as you were talking, I was just kind of scrolling down through, through different categories. Probably my, my favorite nomination, and just the one that I think encapsulates... The problem with the Grammys is best pop vocal album. This category, you know, you got you got some really solid albums. When we all fall asleep, where do we go? Billie Eilish, Thank You Next, Ariana Grande, Lover, Taylor Swift, mm-hmm. Lion King. Okay, it's Beyonce. Okay, I get it. Number six collaborations project. Garbage. Yeah, go back to our review of that because. Um, Man, the fact that this got nominated for a Grammy, especially when there's been so much good pop this year too. I mean, yeah. How like I don't know if Lana got nominated somewhere else. Maybe she's an indie. I didn't actually check there. No. But like, but she, I mean, she got album of the year. So. Like, how do you not put her back in this category right. over Ed Sheeran? Just ridiculous. Or Charlie XCX. Yeah. Absolutely. Or BTS. <laughs> um, yeah, BTS not getting love is absurd. Yeah, that's um strange really strange. i mean but it's like ed sheeran and beyonce they are still on the grammy good side unlike taylor swift apparently you know um so it's kind of weird honestly you know <laughs> best what is it best rock best rock song best best rock song is actually i think a really funny mix of rock you know none, <laughs> tool 1975 
Vampire Weekend, Brittany Howard, Gary Clark Jr. Honestly, if you're going to grab a, a grab bag of what is rock these days, that's pretty close. Not not bad. Not bad. Um, although the 1975, uh, you know my feelings on them. Uh, yeah. But the fact that it, it's this <laughs> song and not, you know, Love It If We Made It or something like that is a bit surprising that they nominated this one over. Oh, wait. Yeah. Uh, shit. Um, when did that come out? Yeah, and it's also interesting how Vampire Weekend has best rock album, or uh, sorry, best alternative music album, um, but then gets nominated for best rock song and then album of the year. They're they're in all these different categories. So I think that kind of speaks to how rock, even the the albums that are most looked at are not really true rock albums anymore. Yeah, I think the best alternative music, you have Vampire Weekend, Bonnie Vare again, as you expect, Mm -hmm. James Blake, Tom York. And then Big Thief. Yeah. Um, I think that's actually pretty solid. I mean, yeah, really Big solid. Thief is either a love it or hate it band, but they're definitely a uh, big act in that, that scene. So I think that that's fair. Um, I think Best New Artist is also pretty uh, pretty impressive just because I think there's a lot of yeah. obvious obvious choices there, right? Was it uh, yep. Lizzo, Billy, um, Maggie Rogers, Rosalia? And then some other like really inspired below the belt band choices. Mm-hmm. So that's actually a nice a, a nice field. Notably, no Megan again, no the baby. The baby does have some other nominations for song and stuff. But yeah, um, again, I was not really offended by much. But I was. I think the biggest surprise ultimately was um, Taylor not getting back into album of the year. Yeah, I think that was probably the biggest surprise for a lot of people, and uh, probably Lil Nas X's love it as well. I think. Yeah. Although I th- he won a couple of awards last night, the uh, American Music Awards. Right. So he might actually, uh, I don't know. I don't know what the crossover is for this. I don't really pay attention. To also, that. I mean, we, we knew this was coming. We knew um, Ariana Ariana nominated Seven Rings. That was the song she put forward for Song of the Year and, and Record of the Year and all that, which is just strange to me because it's not the best song on the album, obviously. Thank You Next Tell tracks, I think, a much more obvious choice. But also, like, 90% of that, that song's cut goes to Rodgers and Hammerstein because mm-hmm. of the interpolation and stuff. It's like, it's, I feel like it's not the best like example of this is who Ariana was this past year. You know, I just find right. that strange. Also Lizzo, not, uh, notably, if you look at the, the nominations, the uh, deluxe edition of cause I love you is the one that was nominated. That's, that's notable because Truth Hurts was added to this album. Mm-hmm. And later, Good As Hell was added to the super deluxe of this album. These are songs that came out one and or two and three years ago. And those are the two biggest songs she had this year. So it's kind of strange that and then Truth Hurts itself is nominated in several categories. Yes, that's really song, a new artist, right? Right. But even Truth Hurts literally came out. No, in that's 2017. What yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, she's really, she's really new, quote unquote. It's like, who, who was it that won like two years? Was it two years ago? Uh, I forgot who like the winner was, but it, they had been around for like a while. Yeah, like, that ha- I mean that happens pretty often. And like, I, yeah, no problem with nominating that Lizzo album, but I do find it's kind of category fraudish to find a way to reward the songs that are actually old. You mentioned "Love It If We Made It" with 1975. Mm-hmm. That song came out in July, so you just mm-hmm. can't nominate it this time, right? You know. True. Um, also her, we remarked that we were surprised about the nomination she got last time. Now that album that's nominated is really just the combination of those two EPs that Mm -hmm. have come out. And that first EP 
was nominated the last Grammys. So how like it's like you're half of this album already was rewarded and that's like a re-release. It is just strange. Like, I don't, does her have nudes on someone in the industry? Like, <laughs> what's going on here? Uh, I'm, I'm just I'm just confused. I feel I feel like this always happens though. Is that they the uh, Grammy nominators fall in love with certain artists and then those mm-hmm. artists just get continuously nominated. You know, right? Um, I don't know. It's uh, it's frustrating, I guess. Um, this it kind of brings me back to I guess my final point. On all this is, I was just kind of left feeling like, who gives a fuck about the Grammys, man? I mm. mean, think about all the albums we we review. Um, and, and our playlist reflects like we are going through quite a bit of music and maybe 10% of that 15% of that is actually like presented at, at the Grammy Awards like music is so much deeper and probably the right. least represented by its award shows we uh we reviewed precisely zero of the best rock albums nominated is that true zero the cranberries zero? on cage elephant we didn't talk about any of those oh geez I didn't... three of the five alternatives though um okay well take that in, in terms of like the snubs that have been going around, I think Collier Rejection, I'm not surprised, but that that's a really good album. Marin Morris, I was surprised they didn't get more country love. Like the country uh, awards, you know, in the, with the Grammys, they have no qualms about going for country pop and stuff that's barely traditional country. So I thought Marin Morris was kind of a shoe in there, a little surprising. Um, Halsey, <laughs> make a big stinker in her fans. Um, <laughs> we do not give a shit, to be honest. Um, I do care about Solange, though. That does not make yeah. sense to me because she got a she got nominated last time, so it's not like she's like a unknown. And this was a great record, and it's just not great here. record. It's, it's that's a shock. Yeah. So the uh, if you want to care about an award or I guess uh, recognition of an album, you should be getting excited for our best of list, which should be rolling mm-hmm. out in the next couple of weeks. So yeah, uh, and our decade talk so much decade talk so much decade, but. That means there's a lot more time to talk about music. And we're going to talk about some more now. Tinashe dropping her, was this her third album, I guess, technically? Songs for You? Right. So when we, we talked about Joyride last year. We were calling right. it her second album. She clarified this year that she actually viewed it as her third album because Night Ride had come out. The label didn't call it an album. She it was an album to her. So this is, uh, in Tinashe's mind, her fourth album. Right. <laughs> Confusing. Well, we'll say fourth album then, because we, we, we respect the queen, especially when you put out something that I think is as um, as uh, ex- experimental, I guess I would say, mm-hmm. in terms of her sound, um, and also appears to be a leveling up, similar to a couple other artists we've talked about recently who we feel have leveled up a bit, like Lana Del Rey, and mm-hmm. um, who we talked about someone, I think it was like a week or two ago, we thought, oh no, it was... Um, FK Twigs. We also yep. felt leveled up a bit. Absolutely. Album. And, you know, Tanache really seems to be, I think, finding her groove. And this is her first independent record. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you just talked about some of the issues she had with her second and third albums um, and how they were released and uh, singles kept coming out and the album just kept getting pushed back and back. And she finally got out of uh, her RCA deal and was independent. I think that really gave her the freedom to create a record like this, which I think is actually really, really good. Um, give me just some general thoughts about songs for you, then we'll, we'll start digging in a little deeper. Yeah, absolutely. So I think it, this is clearly Tanache's best work and a real obvious champion for creative control. 
and what that means to artists because she was someone who truly got fucked by the studio system the past uh, almost five years, four and a half years. And Joyride, now that we reviewed, you know, when it finally came out, I, I still liked a lot about it. But again, RCA just fumbled the ball with that. And none of those songs, there were some really good tracks on that album. They, they didn't, go, didn't go anywhere, you know. And now, I mean, she she's independent, but she is, is managed by Rock Nation now. And I, and I know she has distribution on this album. So I'm hoping this can just do a little better, just try and make some kind of inroad, just because, again, there's some really good tracks on here. And we've known how talented Tanache has been this whole time. You know, she's kind of like the triple threat with the dancing and the vocal range and just seems like a really creative person. So, um, yeah, I was uh, really, really pleased with this. And especially because like, I didn't really know it was coming until a few weeks ago. So um, call me by surprise, but um, I'm happy with this. And actually, I think I want to keep digging in because I really like just about everything I heard. Yeah, I didn't think there was really a bad track on here. And I, I, I was most impressed with was how she was able to jump between genres, you know, um, I guess at the heart of it, it's R&B, but it really uses like trap pop. Uh, mm-hmm. It has some West Coast hip hop sounds in here. Um, even some like acoustic and rock, uh, you know, elements into it. But also just kind of create these songs that have really catchy um, hooks to them. And it, it seems like she really got to shine through her songwriting as well as her like crafting of, of, of music. Um, you know, a couple of my favorite tracks, uh, Stormy Weather is so much better, um, had a little bit more of the rock elements onto it. Um, but then you had her using orchestras for parts of songs and, you know, kind of flourishing some of those, those deeper, uh, string family instruments to, to create some, I think some ambiance into some of her songs. So it's a, a really impressive fourth album. And I think, I think you can really say probably like, first time she's gotten to like really let loose with her own style, which is cool. What songs were really standing out to you? Yeah, I like those ones you mentioned. Um, I think honestly, those first four or five tracks, Feelings Life Too Short, Hopscotch, Stormy Weather, you get a lot real quick. And you kind of get like, this is going to be more genre bending and really bounce around and her vocal delivery is going to change. The production is going to change very dramatically and it's not going to feel jumbled or incohesive because Tanache is able to adapt the whole time. Nothing really feels forced. Um, I me- I immediately was drawn to Hopscotch, the early uh, radio uh, voiceover in the beginning, Shades of Instaples FM, of course. Um, that's just a really fun song. That's definitely uh, more trap-based, but that's fun because, again, she can really flow on that kind of stuff. You know, I'd love to hear her do some like stuff with DJ Mustard. I'd feel like that's a mm. match, or even some like Pilo uh, Bay Area beats or something. That would be cool. That- really interesting yeah and then i mean you mentioned so much better with g easy um mm. again another another bay guy that'd be got you a cool combo i think and that song was just funny to me because g easy's uh just straight up like swiss would be in like yo about that fucking we've been doing what's good <laughs> you know <laughs> and i feel like that g easy's has kind of just been devolving post halsey and just giving less and less fucks since coming out in his music I thought that was really amusing because not actually had to mention i've never seen this on hot 97 how she was uh she, she always thought Jeezy was attractive. So I wonder if this, uh, this has finally happened. That's interesting to me. I was like Link Up. I thought Link Up was pretty fun as well. But I mean, like yeah. I said, there's a lot here. I still really want to keep digging in. But I was very happy with this. Yeah, definitely. Um, 
I found myself really enjoying the end of the album when she was, I felt like she was really kind of tying in the themes pretty succinctly about how, you know, the title for this album, the songs for you. Um, and she really was kind of driving home that, you know, she was making this like kind of like love baby making type album or uh, at least with these themes. In it. And I, I thought that really wrapped up the album quite well. And, I think that this kind of just shows that Tanache has a lot more to offer. And I think that um, she's an only good things to come. I think for her, I'm glad she's independent now. Um, an artist that I don't think we're, we were too surprised at the quality of their work. Now Beck um, dropping his most recent album, hyperspace 14th, 14th, which is crazy. You know, we go from four to 14th and Beck. I mean, we, we've reviewed um, what, one of his albums now, I think, on here. We yeah, the 2017 did. one. What's it called? Yeah, colors. Colors. Yep. Yeah. We did Colors last year. Um, before that, Morning Phase, uh, Grammy album of the year. That's right. Um, very acoustic, very folky singer-songwriter. And then Colors, which is, uh, it feels like a, a bit of a move away from from that softer sound into a more pop in break at least i think back uh style but more just like fun and then this album seems like uh, hyperspace seems like a good mesh of those two things i think there's some really strong songwriting within this album um but it kind of meshes that like poppiness and that energy of colors with i think the songwriting and, and the depth of morning phase um, which i think made this a really fun listen i know you didn't get a chance to get to it um but if you haven't uh if you haven't had a chance to i really would recommend starting with the song like chemical um which i think kind of brings in this nice like trancy spacey type feel that he's obviously going for with hyperspace um as a, as a title but really does bring in like the craftiness and the, the genius of Beck really well. Um, but really there's not a bad song throughout pretty much the quality you expect from Beck. So uh, check out hyperspace. You think you'll give it a listen eventually? Yeah. I've always found him a very accessible artist. You can kind of, just, I mean, again, 14 albums. It's pretty mm-hmm. daunting to try and catch up on Beck, but I mean, I felt this way with colors, at least that you can kind of just listen to Beck and, get the idea and then dig deeper if you want to, because he is mm-hmm. obviously a really talented songwriter. So yeah, I, I, I do want to listen to it. He is an important figure in the singer songwriter uh, field, you know, obviously uh, Grammys know all about that. Yeah. I, I'd, I'd, I'd be surprised if he didn't get a nomination next year for this album. It's, it's quality. And like you said, the Grammys love him. Um, but why don't we move on to maybe an album? I think we're both a little more interested to talk about cold plays everyday life um Coldplay man interesting because when they released their last album in 2017 um and I'm, I'm I'm blanking on the name of it give me one second to find it in my my notes here uh, uh 2017 20 uh head full of dreams sorry 2017's Head Full of Dreams. Um, it kind of seemed like Coldplay might either be moving towards a hiatus um, or potentially maybe even kind of coming to the end as a band. They, they did like this whole 
documentary about their their career as a band. They released this live album that that they recorded and all these on their their big world tour along with the album. And then kind of uh, kind of out of the blue, about like a month or two ago, they started dropping some singles and alluding that there's a new album on the way, and they're even, they're even calling this a double album. And I think interest in Coldplay had been waning a bit. You know, they started off their careers as as the the fix you guys, the guys who make these really uh, kind of like sappy but still comforting songs that are these rock ballads but they don't really challenge you and they're, they're pretty they're a pretty safe band i think for the most part um and they kind of wanted to just become more and more pop and more and more safe it felt like until you know every teardrop is a waterfall feels like the perfect metaphor where it just is like <laughs> i roll my eyes every time i read the title because it just feels so ridiculous T- textbook arena rock right and then they dropped this album everyday life and it feels like a bit of a shift for the band and it's a shift in, in a direction more towards i think uh, uh, a musical and and, and singer songwriter stripped back side of the band which is really interesting but i'm not sure if if it le- if it all landed for me i'm wondering how you felt knowing that one you like rock that goes hard and this is certainly not that but <laughs> knowing that you know coldplay this is a shift for them as a band in general too like, how did you feel about this album? Yeah, I do respect the uh, willingness to change and evolve as an act. And I think it's an, at least a more interesting pivot than just becoming a more homogeneous pop like a lot of these big bands have gone at least this decade. But I think Coldplay, because they're much older, more established act and clearly seem to have some integrity in what they believe and care about as they've grown wealthy and old. Um I think that's commendable. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the first note I wrote down was Chris Martin got woke, dog. You know? <laughs> and um, yeah, hearing him talk about uh, these things, it does sound like he really cares. And, you know, following Radiohead's footsteps in terms of really caring about like sustainable, environmentally conscious touring, which is um, not super easy when you're an arena band. Looking no further than U2 when they had that big uh, claw set that required like hundreds of trucks and it was basically a moon landing every time they moved the set. Um, it, it is, a, I think, an important undertaking because this is something that really ha- has real impact. And I, I really respect that and I'm happy to hear that from someone that famous. But yeah, it's um, it's still soft and that's not that's not the rock I enjoy. So this, um, you know, I mean, what's it, that third, was it the third track? That one where he's, the, there's the voiceover with the, from the police officer mm. given attitude. And I'm like, okay, I get what you're going for. Then later on, I forgot what song was, but there's talks about uh, guns, and uh, clearly it's a gun control message. And I'm like, okay, I mean, I I, I respect all of this, but and I, and honestly, I don't think it's that offensive to Coldplay fans because, as we've been saying, Coldplay is not. They've always kind of been sappy, so mm-hmm. I don't think this whole like padding these songs into their sets when they eventually do perform or tour again is not going to feel offensive or out of left field when it when those songs come on like some other bands like fifth albums tracks might you know like the arctic monkeys last album the tranquility hotel base mm-hmm. casino an album people like but definitely a lot different than their past stuff and you notice when they sure. start playing those new tracks right i don't think that's the case at all this still kind of fits in mm-hmm. but yeah it's still cold play 
Like, and I think w- w- what's important to remember about Coldplay is that when they did the Super Bowl, no one remembered they did it. They remember Bruno Mars <laughs> and Beyonce. Uh, that's that, that's a great point. Um, yeah. So the, some of the songs you're talking about, "Trouble in Town," which also leads into another song I really liked off the album, "Broken" with the capital E. I'm not sure what the <laughs> going on there but okay uh i thought those were two really good tracks um like you said it kind of bringing in the the recording of the racial profiling incident in philadelphia uh kind of added to the track and creates this you know it makes you think tries to make you woke a bit um but the song that i think is at you know obviously the center of this and that i think will fit best into their live act is uh arabesque um it's one of the singles uh it's a swing song that actually was uh one of the last cuts from viva la vida uh or viva whatever it is and all her friends yeah, you got it um, and i think that makes a lot of sense because it's probably the song that's most appealing i think the most like fun and like you kind of want to move to it um and it comes from a totally different time of their career before they moved into this uh, generic poppiness so um, I thought that was pretty interesting. I also thought Orphans, um, another song that's a little bit more uh, more old school Coldplay, I think could fit in well to live songs. Overall, I think it's an interesting listen and it, it was pretty quick, which is also, you know, for 16 songs and Coldplay calling this a double album, it's shorter than a lot of their other mm. longer albums. So I think these like two, three minute tracks actually go right. by pretty quickly. Yeah. Was it a sunrise and sunset are the two sides? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I think conceptually that's actually uh, it does seem to work, and it's funny because like calling something a double album in 2019 means little to most people. You know, beyond oh, it's just a long one. You right. know, like it doesn't have an impact anymore because no one actually has the double discs. So mm-hmm. it seems like they actually were able to execute. So that's uh, that's cool. Yeah. And if you want to check out any of the songs we've we've talked about today or any of the artists, uh, check out our nostalgia best. List. Uh, it is up to date on Spotify. On 60 songs on there. So, uh, quite a bit to dig into. And now, Dave, I'm going to kind of give you the floor here because uh, we wanted to talk Knives Out. And I had a ticket for Friday night, earlier screening, and uh, they, didn't, they didn't download the movie onto the projector, which not not great. It's not what you want when you go to see a movie, Dave. Uh, you It turns out you need to have the movie downloaded on the, to the projector to watch it. So who would have thought? Yeah, didn't get to see it, but you yeah. said you did see it. Tell me your thoughts. I did. Yeah, uh, sold out theater. As you can imagine, they did those advanced screenings Friday and Saturday night uh, in like I think it was eight or nine hundredth years across the country. So a lot of people got to see it a few days early. I believe it's opening uh, Wednesday wide. You know, the early Thanksgiving window. So everyone's going to see it shortly. But that's um, yeah, we we were excited to to seize the opportunity given there's a lot of stuff coming in the pipe and uh yeah knives out uh the new movie from ryan johnson his first since star wars the last jedi which we do not need to litigate here but our thoughts are around. it's a good movie <laughs> and everyone else's thoughts are also around <laughs> <laughs> um yeah and yeah this movie debuted at tiff and to a rapturous acclaim and i think that really got the hype going because we knew that this was some kind of murder mystery premise inspired by agatha christie with a stacked cast yep. and then people saw the movie and they're like, that is all correct. And it's all amazing. And I've seen the movie and I do agree. I'm not going to spoil anything right now. 
Uh, Pat will be chiming in next week when he gets mm-hmm. to see it. Again, we're very annoyed. That- and I'm seeing it. <laughs> Unlike Parasite, I'm seeing it. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, that cast, you look at the poster. Uh, and I'll just go through the premise with along with that. So Richard Plummer, the goat himself, plays this wealthy, uh, famous author, publishing baron guy. And his death is, is, is the central mystery of the movie. Everyone's gathered in the same location by the investigators and they want to determine how he died, you know, classic murder mystery setup. And Daniel Craig is the, uh, is a private investigator from the South hired Daniel Craig doing a hilarious, uh, Southern accent reminiscent of uh, Logan Lucky. He, he's awesome in it. Lakeith Stanfield's the lead police officer. And then Plummer, his three children are, or his two kids are Jamie Lee Curtis, whose uh, husband is Don Johnson. And then their son is, Chris Evans, who plays like the black sheep of the family. Uh, Plummer's other son is Michael Shannon, who has a young son who is kind of a right wing uh, Jacob Wool, like dipshit type. And then Tony Collette plays uh, Plummer's daughter in law, uh, who her uh, partner's no longer there. And then uh, Anda Artemis plays Plummer's uh, live in nurse, again, a very old man. And then Edie Patterson plays the uh, housewife. Or sorry, uh, sorry, housekeeper for this uh, nice, lavish uh, estate in the Boston area. They did shoot this in Boston, and uh, it's a really cool house, lots of nifty things, and it's a, again an awesome setting for this kind of premise. And as you can imagine, this cast is all a list, all hitters, and uh, they're all great. And I've <laughs> I mean, the thing the thing that's so impressive about this movie is. Yeah, I mean, having the cast is easy to easy to point to, uh, but the editing in this movie is so precise. Especially once they start telling the story, where Lakeith and Craig are, you know, just getting everyone's backstory about the night Plummer dies, and the way they cut from character to character, Don Johnson, the Curtis, to Shannon, whoever, to Colette, and they're just getting the alibi, and like this, the the information is being told to the audience in a nonstop fashion, but we're actually changing uh, who's delivering that to us. And the pace never stops because they just switch it and like the flow of everything is so precise. It's awesome. I think this script is just incredibly impressive, super tight. And I think it's definitely best original screenplay worthy. And I think that's a very, very good chance of happening. Ryan Johnson, of course, well liked for his writing, known that for a long time, ever since brick, but this is uh, really impressive. And, and again, this is not based off an Agatha Christie work. This is completely original and probably one of the best original murder mysteries in many, many years. And I was also surprised at how forthcoming information is to the audience about the, the events that, that take place and the way things are told to the audience. It's, it's a much uh, faster method than I anticipated, and it uh, leaves so much more movie runtime. I'm like, wait a minute. We know this already, and there's like an hour and 15 left. Holy shit. And I love the way it ends. I think it's just uh, has an amazing energy that really doesn't stop the whole time. So it's uh, Knives Out is uh, living up to the hype. So please see this movie. I'm definitely going to see it, man. I, I was so bummed when, um, when the person came in and told me, but I, I got two free uh, tickets to use, so which is always like a nice little... Uh, I don't know, bonus, I guess. And I definitely mm. will see it, but man, I'm bummed. This cast and the poster is so awesome too. And they gave it out. I've just been like, I just had like 
have it sitting on like a chair in my home. I just keep <laughs> looking at it. Like it's like taunting me. So I gotta see it. <laughs> Can't wait. Um, another movie I'm doubting I'll get to it is Waves. Um, tell me about Waves because I'm I'm interested, but I'm not 100% sold. Yeah, man. So Waves. Waves is uh, Waves is wild. Let's just say that. Um, this is an A24 film from Trey Edward Schultz. He wrote and directed it. Trey Edward Schultz is only 31 years old. Yeah, this is his third movie, third with A24. Most recently came out with It Comes a Night in 2017, a notable entry in that elevated non-traditional horror, horror genre. That's uh, definitely a big wave right now. And Waves debuted at Telluride to big fanfare. And then once it came out at TIFF later, uh, some more mixed reviews came in. Ultimately, it's still sitting at 88% Rotten Tomatoes. And I think it's a movie that, whether you like it or you don't, it engenders a strong reaction in the audience, in the viewer. And that is not a common thing. And I think that's really important. And for me, I think the movie largely really worked for me. It's, it's honestly told in a two-act structure, two very distinct halves to the movie. And ultimately, your opinion of the movie probably changes on which half you liked more. I'm not going to say really anything else, but that's um, you figure that out once you watch it. And the premise is kind of simple. It's just about this uh, uh, black family in Florida, and a traumatic event happens, and things are kind of turned upside down. And you know, it's a uh, Kelvin Harrison Jr. plays Tyler, who's a high school senior wrestling star. His girlfriend's played by Alexa Demi, who we last saw in a uh, euphoria of course she, she was definitely one of the big breakouts there and then tyler's dad is played by sterling k brown his mom is played by renee, renee goldsberry famous for being the first angelica schuyler in hamilton and then calvin's sister is played by taylor russell who just got a gotham award nomination for best breakthrough uh, actor and a indie spirit award for best supporting actress and then uh, Lucas Hedges also shows up because this is an A24 movie and you need to have a white guy sometimes. So he can, he's here and he's good because that's what Lucas Hedges does. He, he's a good actor. Uh, <laughs> but uh, Lucas Hedges confirmed good. <laughs> Hot takes here on the uh, Nostalgia podcast. But So again, I'm not going to spoil what happens in Waves and I would recommend don't you don't need to watch the trailer. You don't need to read anything about the plot. I, I didn't really know much and I thought that was a big benefit. So I wouldn't do that. But I will tell you about the movie making which i think is very impressive or at least uh stands out uh trey Edward schultz like i said he has his hands roll over this he also co-edited it he said he made this movie and i think it was like a 35 day shoot and in that shoot uh yeah 35 days he went to like 50 different locations he had shot listed this whole movie and he said he came up with about four hours worth of material and he had to really cut this down and then once he did his cut he had like three and a half hours and he needed people to help him cut. Um, and the filmmaking is really striking for a lot of obvious reasons that you're probably familiar with if you've seen A24 movies. First of all, we're, we're in Florida. There's a scene in the water where the camera's in the water, very reminiscent of Moonlight, another A24 film. There's a lot of thematic similarities to Moonlight in this movie. Um, lots of close-ups of people's uh, heads, you know, like shoulder, shoulder high, lots of close-up scenes. Overall, the movie has tons of music. There's very little non-dialogue scenes that aren't filled with some kind of sound and that music is also noteworthy because it's all this a-list stuff and you think a24 definitely helped pull this through but 
There's Kendrick drops, Kanye West, Frank Ocean, Cuddy, Tyler, Animal Collective, Radiohead. Tons of really intentional musical drops conveying parts of the plot or feeling in the characters' heads. And it might be a little on the nose for some people because sometimes it's literally the lyrics um, of those famous songs literally enunciating what's actually being shown on screen. So that might be a little mm. um, a little on the nose for some people, but I think it's really cool because, again, the movie really doesn't stop with the senses. Again, like the, the colors and the beautiful shots, the A24 of it all is really obvious, but then you have all this very intentional music drops. And um, at worst, it's just really showy. And I think that's just yeah. enjoyable to watch usually. You know, the melodrama of it all, which, again, I'm not going to really get into, but that, you know, requires more examination. I think some people have, have had an issue with it. You can read some of those reviews. But it's, uh, I think Waves is definitely a movie I would recommend everybody watch just to, again, have, you will have a visceral reaction to this. This does really inspire feeling. And I think the first half was, was the act I preferred. And I, um, I do have it in a 10 right now on my list, despite noticing some of the flaws. So I think, again, that's it's just a really sensational movie. And it's uh, uh, interesting. You know, it's only, it was only in 21 theaters this past week, only grossed 168K. Um, Sterling K. Brown did not get nominated at the Indie Spirit Awards. So I think that Best Supporting Actor nomination that he had a chance for is probably not going to happen. But yeah, uh, I don't think a lot of people are going to see this, but I'd recommend they do. Um, I mean, it sounds really good. And any movie that is at worst showy and then has songs from all those artists, I'd like, I'll probably enjoy it. So I think you sold me. I'm, I'm willing to check it out. Uh, I was able to check out A Wonderful Day in the Neighborhood. Uh, Tom beautiful. Hanks. Uh, beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. It's wonderful as well. And <laughs> Tom Hanks, man. I mean, we, we, we've seen all of the all the trailers leading up to this we've seen um you know tom hanks and, and the, the oscar buzz around this this performance and you know it's been at some festivals got some really good feedback but i, I was a i was a little surprised because i was like i don't know how compelling is the main character but then when you get in and you really start watching this movie and i didn't do any background going into it, i wanted to kind of go in blind Finding out that it's based on this article, uh, I believe it was a 1998 article, uh, profiling Mr. Rogers. It actually turned out to be more about the, the author of the article and the, the transformation he had with his friendship with Mr. Rogers. It made a lot more sense because I think uh, I think this movie is really good, but I think it's really good because Matthew Reese and mm. Tom Hanks are really good in this movie. Um, how did you feel about A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood? Yeah, I agree. I think this a Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood is good because it's not actually really about Fred Rogers. If you want to mm-hmm. get that, you can go watch um, Won't You Be My Neighbor, the well, a documentary from last year that actually a lot of people saw. Grossed like over $10 million at the box office. But yeah, this is a little different. And he was loosely based off that Tom Juneau 1998 Esquire article. But the uh, they did a lot of creative liberties with the Lloyd Vogel character that Matthew Reese plays. And uh, yeah, it's funny because I, I, when this ended, I uh, I did not have like an amazing like warm reaction to the movie. I didn't like fall in love with it or anything. But I was like, oh yeah, that was good. I see what you guys did there. I, I saw the the structural choices you made. I understand these. I respect this this these 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 choices. Yeah, I didn't like I didn't love it that much. But Hanks is awesome, 
and I had a big Matthew Reese fan. I don't know. I, mean, I just don't think I connected with the um, the family drama that is kind of central to the whole story. Of course, Vogel's uh, issues, but it's still mm. quite good. Mariel Heller, you know, she did "Can't uh, Can You Ever Forgive Me" last year. Alyssa McCarthy a movie I liked a lot. I like that one more than this, but I think this is a. I think I think what I think this makes makes this a little more special is how they structure this in like the framing of one episode yep. of Mister Rogers' show, and those visual cues are obviously very obvious. But I think that was a really cool way to tell the story. But um, what was your favorite part about it? I really like the performances. You know, uh, Reese. You know, Hanks is the one that gets all the shine. Certainly, as Mister Rogers. He's probably at the meteor. Uh, well, I don't know, even know about meteor. He just has the more lauded figure. But Matthew Reese and this like broken guy who has all this like family trauma and things that he's he's working through or or maybe not working through at the time. You know, kind of using his work as this um, as this vehicle to avoid addressing his own issues and to escape the parts about his life he doesn't feel totally great about um or confident about i thought really effectively set up the the effect and the impact that mr rogers had on people and really what the point of the movie was you know talking about this per this person who uh as matthew reese character describes him a modern day saint um in a lot of ways i also think what it did really well is it used Mr. Rogers' personality, which is very soft, very warm. It gives that warm feeling, you know, like you talked about, the framing of the show was already in this, like, these figurines and these these uh, model cities um, for, like, the, the intercut parts, you know, like the transitioning from one scene to another type scenes. Um, so it kind of puts you or anyone that watched Mr. Rogers back into this, like, Oh, I'm watching another episode of Mr. Rogers, but then it kind of gives a lot of space, like in the scenes where Hanks and Reese are talking about their issues, you know, Reese opening up to Mr. Rogers about pain with his father and things like that. They really let those moments sit and, and they really chew on those a little bit. And I think that really allows the viewer to have their own uh, internal dialogue, their own internal experience as Reese is the as the main character is kind of like the avatar for that. And there's that there's that scene near the end. I can't recall quite exactly like how it went down, but I think where uh, it, where they're in the um, in the diner, right? And Mr. Rogers is asking uh, you know the writer to do an exercise with him and think about mm. all the people that got you here and, and whatnot. And it really, it really lets you chew on that moment. As a the viewer, I mean, I know in my theater there was only a couple of people, but I think that I heard a couple of sniffles. People really, I think, reflecting in that moment, and it challenges you to really step into the movie with Mr. Rogers in that moment. It's like a bit surreal, you know. The people in the in the diner kind of are also going through that moment, and then it goes right back to normal once he's done. But uh, I think I think that's a really effective scene to not only portray what the movie is going for but then allow the viewer the, the audience to really feel i think what that impact of being with mr rogers was like how do you feel about that scene though? i think i've heard some mixed reviews yeah i like that scene that's good um you, you notice the people in the diner also 
be quiet. Mm-hmm. And then like you get it's a, it's a fourth wall break, you know, yeah. and didn't really expect it. So that was cool. Um, yeah, I think the things things that I felt were just were less uh, special was a lot of stuff between Reese and Chris Cooper, his dad, his estranged dad. Yeah. Um, Plays you know, a good uh, scumbag, Chris Cooper. Yeah, yeah. And I like Chris Cooper a lot. He's <laughs> obviously awesome. But I wanted more of the convos between uh, Vogel and Rogers. Mm-hmm. Because when Fred would like deconstruct Lloyd really s- kindly, softly, you know, yeah. the way he would twist questions and evade things and ask his own, mm-hmm. like it really captured that like Rogers ethos in an important way yet you never end up hearing Lloyd uh, getting his questions answered. You know, the movie's ultimately about Lloyd and again, like structurally, I like that. I just kind of want, wish we could have got a little bit more of that twist, but ultimately it's a, you know, it's just a really sweet movie with a pretty uh, easy to grasp message. So it's hard to be too critical. I think of uh, the end result. So, you know, I, this is an interesting movie, right? Because I, there's been a lot of award nomination buzz around this. Um, and it's, I think it's a really good movie. But we've also seen a lot of really good movies this year. You you more than me at this point. Do you think that this is worthy of you know, nominations for Best Picture, maybe acting nominations? I don't think Best Picture is going to happen, to be honest. I think this is not going to get too many. I think the leading nomination would be a supporting actor for Tom Hanks. Um, but that also is by no means a lock, because as you've said, that is a stack field of things we've seen. Um, not much beyond Brad Pitt in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, but we know we have Anthony Hopkins coming, The Two Popes, John Lithgow and Bombshell, Pacino and Pesci and Irishman, Jamie Foxx and Just Mercy, as well as Chalamet and Little Women. That's a lot. And Hanks won two best actors basically in a row and hasn't been really nominated at all in mm. the past few years. Nothing for Sully or Captain Phillips, you know. Um, he's almost like the guy version of Meryl Streep in that sense. Yeah. Where they kind of, we've moved past. Hanks in a certain sense to award other people. So I just, then again, it's a, this movie isn't a biopic, but it's a biopic, biopic S performance. And that's obviously awards bait in itself. I don't think he has any chance to win, but I wouldn't be shocked, especially like I said before with waves, things throwing Cape Brown is probably going to slip out of the field. So he's probably a safe choice that people will check, you know, for like, Oh, here's my, my fourth pick, my fifth pick. Yeah. Hanks. Hanks was really good as Mr. Rogers. Sure. But yeah, I don't think best picture is going to happen to be honest. Yeah. I don't think best picture is either. I could see Hanks getting the nomination. Um, just as like a legacy one, but he said that, I don't think months are going to be like happy about who got left off. You know, it's going to, it's just too much. Um, But I think that there's, I think that this is a nice movie and it kind of goes into Hanks's filmography as I think probably one of his, um, probably one of his strongest, just like 
embodiments of a character. You know, Captain Phillips, he also is pretty good, especially during the trauma of the character. But yeah, I, I wanted to follow up with you and see, like, Hanks, obviously he's you know, a legend. He hasn't been nominated in a while. What is your favorite Hanks performance, though? Hmm. I was thinking about this before, and I don't think I ever came up with anything to myself. <laughs> um, it's not tough. Forrest, not Forrest Gump. Uh, oh, I really like Saving Private Ryan. Yeah, he's really good in that. I don't think anyone would say that's his best one, but I Cast really away. enjoy that. <sighs> no, but a good choice. There's a lot of good choices. You said big. Not for me, but you know, Sleepless in Seattle, not for me, but um, Captain Phillips and Sully, no. Uh, yeah, he's always good. To be honest, Da Vinci Code isn't any good, Angel Demons isn't any good. I always really liked those movies, though. I thought they were really uh, interesting galaxy brain premises from Dan Brown. So I kind of liked him as Robert Langdon, yeah. <laughs> even though those aren't good movies. <laughs> yeah, he actually, as, um, as Langdon is pretty good uh i i would i wouldn't knock you too much for that one especially i think it, the earlier in that trilogy it is the better um for sure yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah i think i'd probably go saving private ryan for my favorite performance um and you know obviously it's hard to like pick a vocal performance but he is really good as woody in Toy yeah, Story. just i agree constantly killing it every time you're in that role so yeah, Hanks, man. I mean, it's too bad he probably won't get the nom, or he probably won't win for this because I think he's really good or he might not even get the nom, but uh, still, a, a good feather to put in his filmography. Any last mm-hmm. thoughts on A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood? I mean, I think it was at 13 million. Did pretty solid for the, you know, the scale of this movie. I think it's only like a 20, $25 million budget, so this would be a nice little uh, hefty hefty W for the studio. Um and Marielle Heller, you know, this is two really quick in a row. Um, one of the more interesting and prolific female directors right now, which again, certainly speaks to the uh, how much more work needs to be done that simply by releasing movies frequently like she does and Greta Gerwig does, they just by de- almost by default become the top of their class at the moment. Mm-hmm. But she, she's a really interesting filmmaker and I'm really curious to see what she does next. Absolutely. Uh, I think that's probably going to do it for us this week. But you already kind of mentioned we have a lot to be looking forward to. What should the people be watching, Dave? The Irishman is out on Netflix on Wednesday. Don't need to say why you got to watch that. Just watch that, obviously. The Report is also out on Amazon Prime on the 29th. And then in theaters, you have Queen and Slim going wide with Daniel Kaluuya and Dark Waters, the new uh, Todd Haynes movie with Mark Ruffalo. Uh, apparently it's an excellent entry in the They Knew canon from Ruffalo, which is exciting. Uh, me and you are hoping to also talk about they Honey Boy. They knew, Tommy! <laughs> the Shia LaBeouf movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do know that that's good, so we're excited to see that. Um, and yeah, I don't think any, anyone's dropping any music of note <laughs> around Thanksgiving, which makes sense. But that's plenty of movies, and we'll find some other stuff as we usually do. Absolutely. So hit that subscribe button if you're watching on YouTube. Go to our SoundCloud page, soundcloud.com slash nostalgiapod. And uh, follow us on Twitter at nostalgiapod as well. Um, We appreciate you 
have a great Thanksgiving. Peace out.